Hello, welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we take a particular movie, we talk about it, give it a bit of a review and then discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And as always we end the show with our recommendations for other movies, further reading as we call it, inspired by this week's film, be the link thematic, actor, director, or just something we've made up to talk about a film we like. But first, we always talk about what we've been watching this week. So, Rob, how about you? This is a little bit of a cheat, because it isn't actually a film I've watched this week, but it is one I watched the previous week and didn't get a chance to talk about. And I want to talk about it. So I'm going to lie and say I watched it this week. Right. And that is the 1985 film, Tampopo. Tampopo is um, it's a Japanese film about food really um it's full of vignettes in many ways and kind of has a floating camera that kind of moves between different scenes but has some ongoing threads running through it uh one about this uh noodle shop and one of this uh, these lovers enjoying food shall we say and if anyone's ever seen chef the movie uh from last year for last it has that same kind of effect where you watch it and you want to make food and want to eat food it hasn't got a narrative per se. There are some narrative threads running through it, but it has that effect of it. It's, it's kind of, it's the M and S advert <laughs> with a bit of plot, in many ways. How old is it? How old is it? It's nineteen eighty-five, so it's oh. about thirty years. There are some bits that made me feel a little queasy. The lovers passing an egg yolk back and forth in their mouths oh. was a little too far for me. But not knowing a great deal about Japanese food. Um, and and ramen and the uh, sort of the culture around it. it was a great way in for that and uh, it's 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 a well loved film it, you know it, it's uh, seven point nine out of ten on IMDb so if you haven't seen it and you are interested in like like more offbeat cinema or if you like food go check it out uh, but feel free to just you know jump through the uh, the yolk, egg yolk scene because that was that was that was nice I'm gonna cheat a bit as well. Because, um, like you, this is not one I've seen this week, but one I saw in a previous week. Uh, last week, I had too many films to talk about that I've seen, so this sack over from that. And I saw the original, let's say original, from a couple of years ago, the first Kingsman film. Rob, have you seen it? I have, yes, 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 I have. What did you think? I very much enjoyed it. Right. Um, it has a bit of. It had some sticky places from here and there, but I very much enjoyed it end to end. Good. I I agree with you. I think there were a couple of bits that I really didn't like about it, and I can see how certain people haven't liked the ending, and I didn't like it either. But in general, it does what it sets out to do very well, and it's quite slick, and I liked it. I'm looking forward to the sequel. Yeah, that was, that was one of the reasons for for watching it, I must admit. So, this week, we are embarking on a different franchise, a new franchise. Um, it's, a, it's a sharp turn away from the Batman universe. It's the 1992 film Wayne's World. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the Fandango? Just outside of Chicago. Galileo. 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 In the basement of this house. It's Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Party time. Excellent. Broadcast history is about to be made. Extreme close up. Wow. 
Wayne's World was directed by Penelope Spheris, who was primarily known for doing more commercial ventures rather than longer films. Uh, it was produced by Lorne Michaels, written by uh, Bonnie and Terry Turner in collaboration with its primary star, Mike Myers. And as you'll know from what you can tell from the the fact that Lorne Michaels is involved and Mike Myers is involved, it grows out of a very uh, successful series of SNL sketches performed by Myers with Dana Carvey, who is Garth in the film. And Wayne's World follows the trials and tribulations of Wayne Campbell, who films a public access TV show from his parents' basement with Garth. A TV show, a TV studio, and Rob Lowe's oily young executive intervenes to try and improve, quote unquote, improve the show. And the film follows Wayne's efforts to save his show, his friendship with Carby and his relationship with his girlfriend Cassandra, played by Tia Carrera. And that's about it in terms of plot. It's very referential, self-referential. We'll get into that in the course of the review, I should imagine. But, Rob, you first. I really like it. I, you know, I, I, I was the one who recommended this franchise as one for us to look in. We had a, a, a two-week gap, and I, I suggested this as a, a fill-in, a palate cleanser, shall we say, after the Batman world. I must say I haven't seen Wayne's World in probably 10 years prior to my rewatch this week. And I was surprised by A, how much I really enjoyed it. And also how much it's kind of comedy without many jokes. Everyone remembers you know, certain scenes and certain highlights and certain... You know, catchphrases, you know, the we aren't worthy, you know, remember the, the headbanging scene, you remember quotes from various scenes, but there are large parts of this that I just didn't remember and made me laugh throughout. I think a lot of it comes down to how charming you find Mike and Dana to be. I, I think Dana Carvey kind of ran out of steam with the character, shall we say? Mm. Um, he was kind of a one-trick pony in terms of character and kind of ran out about halfway through. Um, but I did enjoy the kind of third act reveal of his hidden secret skills, shall we say. Um, and in lesser hands, that would have felt like a, a deus ex machina. But here it kind of felt like a another layer of the comedy. So, yeah, end to end, I enjoyed it. Uh, I can't really fault it. I think it's one of the, the best cult comedies out there. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Though I'm going to say, I'm watching it, I was like... I'm really unsure how Sam's going to take this. Often, often when we watch the films, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, "What's Sam going to say about this?" <laughs> because obviously, we talk about it. And sometimes I know. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I can see it in there. And this time, I'm like, I can see Sam liking it. I can see Sam really hating it. Right. And I'm unsure. So I mean, I'm really intrigued to see what you think because it's one of those movies where I'm like, I just, I just can't make a call on which way Sam's going to go. Right. Well, the. F- First thing I would say is that this is one of those films. There's about one, at least one significant one every 10 years that everyone else has seen and I've just missed. Like, I have not seen films that I should have seen Scarface, Stand By Me, and Wayne's World from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And I don't 
I don't know how I've missed them, but I just have. So, and I, I sh uh, probably should, and I should go away and watch Stand By My Me right now. But this is my chance to catch up on Wayne's World. And I think one of the reasons why I haven't watched it until now was that I missed it for whatever reason, or being slightly too young at the time, and then experienced it second hand through people at school and didn't feel like I needed to because I had an impression of what it was like mm -hmm. and I had this sort of impression of it being catchphrasy and a bit gross out and I felt like I knew all the jokes so why did I need to go back and see it that was the impression I had Okay. And I was pleasantly surprised because it was much cleverer than I thought it was going to be. Given that I had that sort of review of a film that I'd never seen sort of tucked away in the back of my mind and hadn't felt the need to revisit it for 15 years, it was, it was nothing like the film I thought it was going to be. I mean, yes, there are bits of catchphrase comedy and gross-out humour and sort of set pieces which feel like sketches lifted from SNL as they were. But also, there were times when you thought, well, this is really clever. And mm. from the moment, and really early on, where Wayne turns to the camera, you think, well... This is something that, that would have been really quite groundbreaking 10 years later. And it's something that, for example, and there aren't, there aren't a lot of comparisons to be drawn otherwise, but in terms of its, its structure and the way that the main actor speaks to the camera, this is something that House of Cards was doing, 20, is doing 25 years later. So... Mm. It, there's, so yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised, and I did. There, there were bits of it where I just thought, well, yeah, whatever, I can didn't take or leave this. But there were moments when I thought, this is really very clever, and I'm really glad I've seen this. Things like the scene with Wayne and Cassandra for the first time when he when they speak in Cantonese, mm. and the they have to wait for the subtitles. And you think, well, it's obvious that Mike Myers doesn't know Cantonese and he's just, he's picking apart this this idea of, of a convention like this. Mm. Yeah, there were, there were really clever moments and I thought I, I did really enjoy it and really enjoy it. Well, I mean, as you often like a little theme to talk about on this show, that's the theme that really struck me was this idea of the fourth wall mm. and its relation to them. Now, those of you who, it's pretty standard term, but I'll just cover it just in case you don't know. The fourth wall basically implies that the action you're watching, be it theatre, be it film, be it TV, is you are behind a fourth wall. So three walls you can see of the box, mm. and there's the fourth wall that, you, that, that, that separates you from them. Films like this, where the characters turn and speak to the audience are considered to be breaking the fourth wall. That they, that they are removing that wall, and there's a, a breakdown of that relationship between the audience and the creation and, and the story. 
And this has been done in other films like Fred's Bit of Day Off, and it's done in films like Deadpool. And there are many, many films in which people talk to the um talk the end. But I think this film, for me, takes it at like a level beyond that because there are so many jokes in this, and Sam you Holly one there, that are about the nature of the film, about it being a film. Mm. That, that there's, there's a, a, a infamous and I think hilarious scene in which they talk about sponsorship. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, and they, they won't bow to the sponsors. As the thing goes on, they get more and more into kind of clearly doing adverts. Yeah, and there's, um, there's one one I was thinking of just shortly after that. It's is where it's just before they put they they put their plan into action. It's when they meet in the diner, and mm. Myers opens the door, and there there's a James Bond montage, and he responds to what God's saying with just no. I just fancy putting it in a film, and yeah. there you have he's Myers isn't, isn't just performing this narrative he's actually writing a film about the idea of filmic representation itself it's really well, the, the, really clever the, the very ending of the film or endings of the mm. film has you know you have if, 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 if we are there are three endings of the film there's the first really apocalyptic end of the world everything goes wrong film um ending there is the scooby-doo ending and then there's the cpap ending and that's how it ends and there isn't, like, the idea of... It, like, how film destroys the idea of a true narrative. Films like Fred Bueller's Day Off and films like Deadpool that, wrench, that break this fourth wall. And the vast majority of films that break the fourth wall still have the idea of a true narrative. You're, t- you're seeing a story, a truth revealed to mm. you. There may be a character. You mentioned it, you know, start, you've got... Um, what's it called? House of Cards, where they talk to the audience brilliant show but it still has the idea of a true narrative there's just one character who breaks beyond it you know and this one that like, there's a scene in which that they, they go for the first time and the camera leaves and follows the um the uh bartender who is a brilliant comic creation in my mind um and 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 they get the character no 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 sit with me only follow me yeah. and then later on when when wayne's lost Cassandra, he's lost his job, he's lost his best friend, he starts to sort of complain, the camera leaves him. Mm. The camera wanders off because he doesn't want them. and then oh no no and then there's this really feeling that you've got to um sort of we are part of it and that the cat you feel the cameraman there. And the one scene that I think the first time I watched it I just didn't even see, I didn't even notice it, but really short this time was the scene when the first time that Cassandra and Wayne are in bed together. And there's Cassandra's lying on the um, on the sofa on the, on the bed, and all you get is this sort of cutting between slightly different angles on her face, mm. and the camera cuts and cuts and cuts and cuts, and you hear Wayne go, camera one, camera two, yes, camera one, camera two, and then you get the reverse shot, and it's him closing his eyes, mm. and like that moment, it's like well, you think you're seeing a camera, you think you're you're in this kind of omniscient omnipresent camera that we're used to even in films that break the fourth wall we still have a deal this camera is a is this floating point in time that we watch things through whereas this film in every way breaks down that idea and you always know that you are watching a movie Mm. Um, and it has this kind of this as i say it isn't just breaking the fourth wall it's it's pulling apart the pieces of fourth wall and making jokes about them yes and that I mean, that camera one, camera two, 
that's something else about this film because it, you can't you can't lose the fact that this is a film about the process of filming a TV show. So mm. we've we've gone quite quickly to pull back into the fourth wall and talk about the the film itself and the the montage and these talk about the different endings. But if you if you drill down into what this film is actually about, God, I hate people who say drill down. Anyway. If you focus on what this film is really about, it's about the process of filming a TV show. And you mm. have the moment where the the old executive and his wife go down to watch the TV show being filmed and they look through the camera. So this is... I mean, th- there are just too many levels here for me to comprehend. Just th- this is... I mean, we talked about the idea of something being metafilmic before and being focused on the idea of of creating a film itself. But this is this is like metafilmic squared, metafilmic tripled. You don't know where it stops being metafilmic. There are so many different layers to this film. Uh, exactly. And it's... It's one of those weird films where you feel like it's taking the piss out of other films. Yeah. Taking, you know, taking the mick out of filmic conventions. But then it also makes fun of itself. It isn't, it isn't like above any of these things. It does them just as well. Um, you still have, you know, there's a slight mockery at the end of the idea that, uh, you know, suddenly we can just do all the technology things and solve everything. But then they do that. They do exactly that. Yes. And and it's it's somehow as you say it, like when I watched it as a teenager I just thought it was funny I thought it was funny jokes now you know ten years down the line with a film degree and a film career behind me it works on a whole other level it's one of those films where I feel when I watch it in ten years time I'm going to see a whole other level of it as well. Mm. There is there's that moment when. Um... And Wayne gets pulled over for speeding, and you think you think it's for speeding, and then suddenly it's in a completely different film, and mm. and Mike Myers or Wayne's World is taking the mick out of the fact of this idea of of referential films. Yeah, I mean, you've got Rob Patrick playing the uh, T-1000, is it, from uh, Terminator 2? Yeah. And, it, it, and it, but the thing is, you, it almost feels like it belongs in like one of the scary movie films. But it does, the film isn't full of those references. Mm. But another one that are along those same lines that I just love is the, the Alice Cooper scene. Yes. They, those who, the boys get tickets to go and see Alice Cooper in concert, all, all access, they go and meet Alice Cooper. And rather than the Prince of Darkness rocker that you think he can be, he seems to be... Bizarrely interested in Milwaukee as a place, um, and he just. I, and, 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 but it, the joke only works if you know who Alice Cooper is. Mm. It only, it's only funny because we know who Alice Cooper is and who he's, or at least who everyone thinks he is. And this leads into the next little scene in which they meet um, the bouncer who tells them all about the um, Mister Big in his car. And they say, "Well, that's you know, a lot of information." But they, this idea, this this uh, this mockery of this moment that then comes back onto the line, and these films only work if you they, they, they only work. They do work the more you know. There's a whole scene which I must say I didn't get until I looked read about it afterwards. Before they go to the Alice, Alice Keeper, they go to Milwaukee, 
Mm. And there's a whole scene where they just kind of they ride a bike around, they do funny steps and reel off this thing, and then they go to the brewery and all that kind of thing. And I never quite yeah, got what, it. What is that? That is a shot for shot re- recreation of the opening sequence of Laverne and Shirley. Right. <laughs> now, now, listeners, me and Sam, we grew up in southern England. We have never seen Laverne and Shirley. This is not a show that crossed the Atlantic. Um, and it wasn't until I was reading up about for this podcast that that tweaked for me. And as you said, like so many of these jokes, are like, well, that isn't funny. It's not a joke. Mm. And it feels like, and I will come to this in one of my recommendations afterwards. It just feels like they thought, they thought that'd be good. Let's do that. They wanted to do it, as you said with the Bond stuff. They just they just wanted to do it. Yeah. So they did it. Yeah. There is so. I, I like that um, scene with. You were talking about the, the scene with the security guard when, when Chris Farley gives them an excessive amount of information and then when Camel comments on it to the camera. And you think mm. what he's doing there is unpicking this idea of a coincidence in a film. You have that moment in lots of films where information gets transferred early earlier on in the film and then it, it it's it's useful later on. It's kind of a, a weird version of a Chekhov's gun. That well, if information is given to you earlier in the film, then you're going to have to use it later on. I would say it's exactly a Chekhov's gun, but somehow with a great neon sign that says Chekhov's gun with a big arrow pointing at the gun. Yeah. It, it it's just like they are showing you all the strings of how this works and then it still works anyway. Yes. Yeah. It it still works and it's it's almost that that's where the humor is. Like the, mm. the humor does it doesn't come from gross out humor or, or catchphrases. It comes from the fact that this is it, it's a really honest film about the process of of making a film of like, building relationships with other people but mm. it doesn't there's something I'm, I'm not sure it gets to the the artificiality of film that like you said, there will always be an overarching narrative and there will always be something that the film is trying to show you. And this this film aims itself squarely at this artificiality, which it comes out of the fact that um, Penelope Spears' background is in, as I said, in more commercial films. In I think she did music videos before this, didn't she? I believe so, yeah. yes. So... She was, I mean, that's that's where she comes from. She comes from this artificial world of, of filmmaking. And this film aims at that and says, look, look how honest we are being. We're prepared to highlight the fact that this is so artificial. So in, mm. in those scenes, in that scene with the, with the obvious product placement, you think, well... And it, and it, I was I was struck by I was struck by just now the the um, the furore surrounding um, James Bond and a certain brand of beer. I think it was I think it was Heineken in the in one of the recent Bond films, and we were saying well Bond would never drink that, um, and then you have this sort of 
not so subtle use of a green bottle in in one of the scenes with Daniel Craig, and you think, well, mm. they they've paid a lot of money for that, and it was something like Wayne's World is taking that and saying, look how ridiculous the movie industry is, look how ridiculous this artificiality and this being indebted to commerce is. We are not indebted to commerce, and we are just. Like you said, they're just doing what they want to. They're just having fun. Exactly. exactly. It is a fun end-to-end. Mm. So, Sam, do you have some recommendations for other things to watch following this? I do. Um, and the first one... Um, well, is actually, there, there are two, um, two actors who went on to have big roles in recent successful sitcoms in the states there's ed o'neill who you you talked about in in that cutaway scene with the barman at the beginning who went on to be in modern family and the my recommendation here is rob lowe who was a had a central role sort of a resurgence of his career in parks and rec um mm. and and I've look, looked more about the, the history of this film, and he wasn't really known as a comic actor, which is strange, because now all I can see is him in Parks and Rec. So it seems, going back to Wayne's World, seeing him in that role, I think, well, that he's just playing to type, whereas he really wasn't beforehand. But I would mm. recommend Parks and Rec. He's really good in that. And my second one is no sort of actor links here but it's more for the mood of it and it's a film of about the same time it's similar subject which I have seen seen a couple of times I don't know why I've seen it twice and not seen Wayne's World once but there we go uh, it's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure it is excellent great I, I, I would echo both of those recommendations I, I'm, I'm uh, yeah I think they're brilliant I've gone a slightly different route to you. So my first recommendation is actor-based, isn't it? And as I mentioned at the start there, or sometimes our recommendations are just a, we find a needly way to talk about a film we want to talk about. Mm. And mine is the 1990 film, The Class of 1999. Uh, you haven't seen this film, it's fine. Um, it is basically one of the kind of like dangerous minds crossed with Blade Runner. It's set in 1999, school system has gone so out of control they have brought in robots, robot teachers, to uh, handle all the uh, unruly kids, played by Pam Greer, Patrick Kilpatrick, uh, and Stacey Keach, uh, with Malcolm McDowell as uh, giving chewing some scenery as the evil uh, creator of them. It has plenty of schlocky elements to it, um, and it's very in that kind of straight to DVD, sort of that straight to VHS kind of uh, exploitation film. But it's it's funny, it's violent in the right places, and it has a world that it creates very easily. The link is Sean Sullivan. Sean Sullivan, if you watch Main World, plays Phil, the continually drunk, hungover, drugged out of his mind friend of Wayne's who has partied too hard for too long. He reappears in Class 99 as a character called Mohawk, one of the tearaway youths. There isn't any kind of thematic link, but it's such a film. It's my chance to push a film like that onto unspecified audiences. My second recommendation 
is very thematic. There's no real, not, there probably are some links, but none that leaked in mind particularly for me. Um, but it's very thematically in the way it handles the fourth wall, in the way it handles the idea of knowing it's a film, and the way it handles external meta-knowledge about other things. And it's by one of my favourites of all time. And that is the film from 2001, Jay and Son and Bob Strike Back. This is a film very much for the fans of Kevin Smith's work. It literally makes no sense without the input from uh, his previous work. You have to understand why Ben Affleck's in this film twice, three times. Uh, why Matt Damon's in it uh, um, as himself and playing someone else. And you have all these people playing more than one part because they've appeared in more than one of his films. Without the meta-knowledge of this, it makes no sense whatsoever. And there is obviously this talk in it about, you know, going to Hollywood, selling out. and It's about his career and about films. And at the same time being quite funny. I don't think it works quite as well as Wayne's World. Um, but it certainly is in that kind of idea of playing with convention, playing with different elements of filmic language. And it often gets short shrift when it comes to Kevin Smith's work. And I want to champion it a little bit more. Right. So yeah, Jane is not bullshit back from 2001. Right. Right then, so next week we will continue with and conclude the Wayne's World franchise. Until then, you can talk to either of us on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And you can find just me at Life underscore Academic. And we'll see you guys back here next week. Party on, Wayne. <laughs> Bloody on guard. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.